ready to rise above loud, angry headlines, longing for an alternative to the world's fighting and fear-mongering? Christianity Today magazine offers a trustworthy, faithful perspective on stories that matter to you, from the church next door to movements and ministries all around the world. Subscribe to CT for full access to in-depth reporting, insightful commentary, and redemptive storytelling, both online and in print. A subscription to CT also includes seasonal devotionals, special issues, and exclusive content. Visit orderct.com today or click the link in the show notes to get started and join a growing community of thoughtful evangelical Christians who value different news that makes a difference. That's orderct.com to subscribe today. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts, and I'm really excited today to have uh, with me Jamie Ivey. Many of you are already familiar with Jamie because I know there are tons of people who listen every week to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. Uh, she interviews women uh, every week who are serving in, in all sorts of uh, different ways. Uh, I know that my wife uh, listens all the time to the Happy Hour and not just listens to it. I mean, she listens to a lot of different podcasts, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, but when we actually talk to each other about, hey, this is what they were talking about on fill in the blank. You know, something really is unique about it. And she is always doing that uh, with the happy hour. I am probably even more than she, a huge fan of Jamie Ivey uh, and have been for years and years and years. And especially now because Jamie spoke at our ERLC national conference last year on parenting. And it was Phenomenal. You should really check out the video of this, both in terms of content, in terms of here's some wisdom that we need to think through as parents, also in terms of the way she was communicating that. It was just, it was just absolutely spectacular. And so I wanted to talk to Jamie. We, we have some common experiences in terms of uh, adopting kids. And you may say, as you're listening to this, well, I haven't adopted or I'm not going to adopt or I don't know anybody uh, who's adopting. So this podcast isn't for me. What I would say to you is, no, that's not the case because we're going to be starting out in talking about adoption. But really, Really, all of us are dealing with these things because it has to do with parenting. It has to do with uh, loving our neighbor. Uh, it has to do with the, the whole structure of being a family together as a church. So there are all sorts of things here that even if you have nothing to do with adoption, you you really will will learn a lot. So Jamie, thanks so much for being on Signpost today. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. That introduction, I'm just, I can be done now, Dr. Moore. Thank you. <laughs> now you live in Austin. Uh, you I and Aaron do. live in Austin uh, with your kids, and why don't you why don't you just tell us uh, a little bit about sort of what your area of ministry is like? Yes, we live in Austin. We have four kids, so I'm parenting 
uh, three teenage boys and a daughter who is a preteen. And so that is a big part of my mm-hmm. ministry life for sure. Mm-hmm. We moved to Austin 10 years ago so that my husband, Aaron, he is a pastor at our church, the Austin Stone Community Church. And about five years ago, I started my podcast. And really, it's crazy to think that I really started doing a lot more ministering outside of my home because of the podcast. And mm-hmm. so I get the joy of traveling and speaking at churches and to women events. And I wrote a book last year that released in the podcast. And so I think one of my, I mean, I could say it, one of my just greatest goals in life is for women to to see how much they're loved and how much God has for them, mm. not worrying about their their circumstances or their past or where they've been or what they've done, but that God comes and offers freedom. And so I just do that in everything I do. So that's kind of my ministry life. Mm-hmm. Now you have three, you have four kids. Three yes. you just mentioned are teenagers right now. the The sad part for me is that initially, when you said that, I was like, "Whoa, three, three teenagers at once!" And then I immediately realized, "Well, I have three teenagers." I was at like, once. "That's your life too." <laughs> <That's my> life <laughs> too. So when you're in it, you don't, uh, you probably don't recognize it as much as being, "Wow, that's uh, that's a lot." Uh, but yes, you and Aaron. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think. The first time that I ever became familiar with y'all was many years ago when Aaron wrote a song, I think called Amos's Song. Is that right? It's called Amos Story. Amos Story, yeah. Those are both of our kids' names. Yeah, yeah. so Amos Story. Yeah, about uh, about adoption and so forth. What what led you and Aaron toward adoption? What what was the story that, that got you there? You know, the craziest answer, and this sounds so just churchy when I say God, because, you know, people often ask us, surely you and Aaron knew when you got married that you wanted to adopt one day? And the answer is just quite frankly, no. I had never talked about adoption. I had never even met anyone who had adopted or was adopted before we got married. And then Aaron and I got married. We've been married almost 18 years. And when we moved and lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, we were attending a church where families were bringing home children from China that they were adopting. And it was the very first time I ever remember seeing anyone walk through this, seeing a family that looked different than the quote unquote typical, everybody has the same skin color in one family and they all came to there the same way. And our eyes just quite frankly were opened to adoption for the first time Mm -hmm. ever. And we had our first son, who's our only biological son. He was seven, nine months old, something like that. And we walked into an adoption agency, the most naive baby little kids you can imagine and said, we don't really know what God has for us, but we think we're going to build our family through adoption. And that literally is how we started our family, which is crazy, but mm-hmm. it's God. It really mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, um, how old were your kids when you adopted them? So our first adoption was actually a domestic adoption. So our son, Deacon, who is uh, 14, 13 right now. We adopted him. He was born in Texas. We were there when he was born. We have an open relationship with his first mom. And then from there, I actually traveled to Haiti. And unfortunately, it was probably the first time at at an age that my eyes were open to the rest of the world besides America. And Mm. so God moved in our hearts in more ways than adoption through that trip. I mean, just eye-opening to the gospel, to so many things. But it it put a seed in my heart of just, I had never seen what I saw before and I had never experienced what I went. And so as we started to 
talk about building our family, we just never went back to having any more kids biologically. And and it's just God. I mean, mm-hmm. there were no complications. There were no problems. It's just where he kept moving us. And so when we decided it was time to add to our family again, that's when we went to Haiti. And we've been a family of six for nine years now. So, you know, I'm sure it's like this for you. Adoption is a huge part of our family. It's how God built it. Yeah. Uh, but most days I don't think about it, right. if that makes Sense. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Most days I don't. I, I am today because as we're recording this, uh, our oldest uh, turns 18. Uh. And so I'm just, I, I'm sort of freaking out uh, just thinking of his uh, little face the first time I saw him when he was a year old in that Russian uh. orphanage and thinking, man, he's a grown man now. So it's it's on my mind today, but you're right. Yes, there, it there is. There are days sure. where you just, don't, uh, you just don't think about it at all. But if mm-hmm. you could... Go back in time and speak right now as 2019 Jamie Ivy to Aaron and Jamie Ivy back then. Uh, what would be your counsel? Oh my gosh. So how many hours do we have right now <laughs> is what I'm thinking. You know, I thought as often as I, I mean, as how I think about adoption way less now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that I do think about and that I wish I would have known. And so when I look back at at us walking into the way God would build our family this way, I had a very, and it's almost embarrassing to say a little bit, but you, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I've yeah. learned a lot and come a long ways. I had this very idealistic idea that our kids would come home and everybody would be happy and they would be happy that they have a mom and dad and they would be loved and we would live happily ever after. Yeah. And that sets up the entire family, everyone, mom, dad, children, siblings, everybody for failure because yeah. you're just you're putting you're building a family full of broken people yeah. and broken in the sense of we're just all spiritually broken but also emotionally and physically broken when you're bringing kids into your family that have been through so much trauma in mm-hmm. their lifetimes trauma comes up in the parents that you'd never addressed that all of a sudden is coming to the surface yeah. and so right. i think if i were to go back and tell myself i i would have clearer expectations about what it would look like to build our family. And God has been so gracious to Aaron and I because we knew nothing going into this. Mm -hmm. And he has allowed us to learn along the way and hopefully not screw up our kids too much, you know, with our learning. Mm -hmm. But he's just been really gracious. But I do like to speak about that, of just knowing that you don't just tie this pretty bow on a family. And, And I think that is across the board, Dr. Moore, with any family, whether your kids come home through adoption or not. But specifically with adoption, it's just, it's a lot of hard work on everybody's part and God has to do a lot of healing in everyone's heart as well. Yeah. And you know, that's exactly right. Because I thought kind of like you, I, I thought, you know, our kids are so young that uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're a year old. So they won't even remember uh, the orphanage. They won't remember any of the trauma involved here. And so we're going to come home. It's going to take a little while to sort of uh, ramp up. But then after that, everything is just going to be the way the way it would typically be in any family mm-hmm. and uh, what what we had to come to realize is to say wait a minute every family is going to have to be bearing one another's burdens all the way through mm-hmm. and one of the things that we have to realize is not to think well once once the uh the first uh, anniversary of the adoption is that that doesn't mean it's over right. uh, it means you're continuing to bear those burdens that is a hard uh, that's a hard lesson to learn but a good lesson to learn because once you get it, you can start to try to apply it to other 
areas of life, including to yourself. I mean, you're right yeah. when you say it points out all the ways that you <laughs> right. have all of these things that you just don't think about when you're in the middle of yeah. everything. Yeah. I always say that adoption is built on loss. I mean, there's yeah. there's there's no adoption if everything's going great for a child and his family. And so I think no matter even speaking to you, bringing your kids home at one, we brought one of our kids home at two, you just think, oh, it's going to just, this is different. Well, there's always a loss that's there. Yeah. And so I think that's something that I even asked God, like, can you just give me extra wisdom on how to parent kids that have been through so much hardship before they're even four years old, you know? And so that's just a God thing that he can do that for us. And I don't know if this is the case with you, but it certainly has been the case with me where learning to do that has actually helped me to relate to the the biological kids as Mm -hmm. well. I don't usually put them in those categories, but but for this purpose would, uh, because... uh, you know, there, there was a point where I had to say early on to my wife, look, here's what winning looks like for us. Winning looks like these kids not aging out of a Russian orphanage when they're 16 years old with nobody. Everything above that is success <laughs> to some degree. And so we recal- you have made it. Yeah, yeah we recalibrate, uh, recalibrate our expectations. To do that. But that, I think, is what the Lord used to help me to get through these these expectations that people tend to have for their kids just generally about uh, success in life and what it means for you to be in ways that I think could end up creating a lot of broken relationships and resentment. I mean, you, you talked 100%. about that uh, you know, a lot in your uh, address that you did at the national conference in terms of those parental sorts of uh, finding their identity in their kids. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And I, I agree that I feel like the way that our family has been put together through adoption, it has helped open our eyes a little bit to these kind of cookie cutter expectations that we can put on families and on children. Whereas Aaron and I kind of do have these same conversations that you and Maria are having where we're looking at our kids and going, hey, here's what success looks like. It looks like our kids loving Jesus. And it doesn't look like college. It doesn't look like professional jobs. It doesn't look like any of these other things, but it just... We're lowering our bar, but I don't think that's a lower bar. Like when I said that out loud just now, I don't feel like it's a lower bar. I think it's just setting people up for a little bit, not easier success. And now I feel like I'm kind of going in a circle here, but you know what I mean? When I'm I'm taking some of these expectations off my kids that don't matter at the end of the day. At the end of the day, what matters to me is where are their hearts? And I think that honestly, Dr. Moore, I think that's harder to parent. I think that takes more work in parenting. Yeah, it, it, it certainly does because you have to know each of your kids. Right, you have and to they're all so different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, what do you do? Not speaking here about adoption, but just generally in terms of parenting, this would be the case for everybody. Uh, right now, those sorts of expectations that people have uh, for their kids—you think about that in terms of the Varsity Blues scandal with, you know, people, these celebrities paying all this money to get their kids into good schools—that shows up. Uh, in a lot of parents' lives, just in terms of anxiety with, well, my kids have to be in 15 different traveling sports leagues and they have to be, you know, their uh, their SAT or ACT has to be better than everybody else. How do you break through that? You know, I think a lot of those kind of 
ideals that we put on our kids are really more for the parents. Yeah. Like we're saying, well, if this all happens with my children, then I look like I'm doing a good job. And yeah. people would look at me and say, well, they must have good parents if this is happening. And man, we've just had to step back and say, good parenting has nothing to do with these kind of outward expectations, these outward appearances, these outward goals that our children may meet or be a part of. But again, going back to our previous conversation, good parenting is, A, how well do I know my kid? How much am I working on their heart? And so for Aaron and I, we look at our family as this kind of whole unit. And so we're going to weigh, if we talk about, you know, what are our kids going to do with extra activities or even, gosh, how good are your SAT scores or your grades? All those things do matter. They really do. Mm -hmm. But what matters more is our family unit. Mm -hmm. And so we've had so many conversations of, we're just not going to be doing this right now because what matters more is focusing on our family. And also, you know, we say all the time at our house, and when I say we, Aaron and I, we look at each other and we say, our kids do not, they don't make our identity. Mm-hmm. And so that is something that I think if your kids are doing amazing, you can find your own personal identity in that. If your kids are struggling, I mean, I've been in principal's offices, you know, we yeah. have kids that are struggling things. That doesn't affect my identity. Like right. my identity is secure no matter what. Yeah. It doesn't get me off the hook to not parent my kids well, but it does give me a little like, I can breathe a little bit of a fresh air and go, okay, my kids don't define who I am as a person. Yeah. And I think a lot of times parents put so much of their identity on their kids and that is just setting everybody up for failure because guess what? Your kids are going to fail. That's your kids right. are going to make bad choices like they are because or, they're kids. Or your kids are going to pretend to meet all of your uh, yes. expectations, but there's nothing real there and it's going to be a disaster for them and for it you. It will be a disaster when they leave your home for yeah. sure. And so I, you know, I want to parent my kids' heart more than anything. And I also want them to know that what we expect of them is it's not a lower bar. It's just that we expect for them to love Jesus, to love people. And basically everything else is just going to be kind of whatever God calls you to. That's great. What do you do with the sort of pressure that comes upon kids, not just teenage now, but of uh, of every age and really for everybody? But in terms of the pressure that comes to to view oneself through the prism of social media and, and uh, the sort of kind of um, bullying, that the unintentional bullying, I think, sometimes that can happen, not because somebody is intentionally coming after somebody, but just because you're looking around and you're looking at that whole ecosystem of social media and saying, what does everyone think of me? And when you think about how tough that was for all of us when we were in junior high and high school, when you have that going on 24 hours a day, how do parents work through that? Well, I will say this. Aaron and I have really had to talk about this a lot. Now, our three teenagers are boys. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that we've got a little bit of time before our daughter gets in this. And, and I, I do think it's different, but it's not exclusive to girls by any means. We are kind of old school, Dr. Moore. Mm-hmm. We are not letting our kids have social media right now. And uh, I have a I freshman in high school and I have two seventh grade boys Um, Have they all asked for it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are we very honest about why? Yes. Because I think as a 41-year-old woman that sometimes social media is hard for me to handle. Yeah. I don't know why I would put that in the hands of my young children. Um, I'll give you an example. Just, you know, this past weekend, one of my kids had a birthday party. And of course, the people that were here put it on social media. And, you know, when you and I were growing up, the way you found out you didn't get invited to someone is like Monday at school, they talked about it. Exactly. 
Now these kids are dealing with instantly feeling as though they weren't invited and instantly feeling as though they were left out, constantly looking at what people are portraying on social media. And so I think it's it's a lot of pressure to put into our teenagers' hands. And I just would really like to advise parents that your kids don't have to have it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know they may say everybody does and it's how we communicate. I mean, a mom asked me the other day, well, how do your kids communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, they text them or they call them or they hang out, you know? Yeah. And so I think there is this pressure and we as adults feel it to be in on everything. And I love Instagram. I really love it. But I also look at it through the lens of if if I'm feeling bad about myself by looking at someone else's feed, I really come to it as in they're not doing anything wrong. I need to guard my heart. And sometimes guarding my heart means unfollowing people. And sometimes guarding my heart means I take a sabbatical or not a sabbatical, but I take a time off from um, Instagram like I did a couple of months ago. And so I think that this is a new battle that as Christians we're having to go into where we guard our heart from all kinds of things. And this is one of the ways that we're going to have to take up battle for our own souls is guarding our eyes as to what we look at. And it's weird to say, but you guys, social media can be so hard on our hearts sometimes. And so as someone who's trying to follow Jesus better every day, if I know that's a stumbling block for me, then I need to take it away. And so for us as parents, I'm not will, I'm not ready to give it to my kids yet. And now before they leave my home, of course they're going to have it because we want to teach them how to handle it well. Yeah. But it's just a hard tool and we want to just guard our kids' hearts as well, as long as we possibly can. Yeah, I, I was I was really, you know, the, the, one of the ways that kids are communicating now uh, is through Google Docs. And mm-hmm. so you have a Google Doc open and you're able to have a sort of a back and forth conversation that's going on and nobody knows it's happening because you have your laptop out. Somebody just thinks you're taking notes in class. You're doing that. And I thought, you know, things don't really change. So the the little notes that people used to throw at one another across the classroom, yep. it's it's technologically updated, but it's the same. It's the same. Except style. our teachers could pick up our notes and now they can't pick up the notes anymore. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Yeah. One final thing uh, before you go, you're working a lot with women, uh, you know, as I've mentioned before, in all sorts of different areas. Uh, where do you think the church, uh, church broadly speaking, is is doing well and doing poorly as it relates to women? You know, this is um, always a difficult conversation for me because I have felt very loved and served and cared for and cheered on at my own local church. Mm -hmm. And so I hear other women talk to me and speak about not feeling that same thing. And I am, um, I hurt for them in that way, but I must say, I don't understand it from a personal standpoint because Mm -hmm. I am super blessed to go to a church that really celebrates my giftings. Um, And so one of the things that I am noticing, though, is I feel like the church as a whole is having better conversations about letting women use their giftings where they're supposed to be using them letting them use the talents that God's giving them, letting them use the giftings and the voice um, and really elevating them and giving them the the voice and the power to be able to use those in areas that are perfect for them to be serving. Yeah. In. And so I would say I'm excited about the conversations that are having. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that my church is, my local church um, is having them and is a part of them and is really helping them out. One of the things that I think I'm just super aware of right now, because I've had several conversations recently on my podcast with women, 
um, about mental health. Mm, mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not a lane that I run in. It's not a conversation I'm having often, but I've had it recently, at least four times in the past three months. And so therefore it's in my brain. And I think this is a conversation that could be talked about a little bit more yeah. um, in, in lots of different areas, but in women specifically, because that's who I do my ministry to is just the conversations around mental health, that the stigma is still there, that there's something wrong with you and your faith life that you're not dealing with instead of there is a chemical imbalance or how can we serve you better or what's happening. And so I I would like to see more of that. And, you know, from my perspective, I've had that conversation four times in the last two months. So it is being talked about and I'm honored that people are speaking with me about it on my show, but I can see that as an area that could have some growth, but I'm also super excited about the growth that I do see happening. Mm -hmm. Um, with women in um, leadership and using their voice and using the talents that God's given them and working together with men for the church. Yeah. Ah, That's a hopeful note uh, to end on. So I'm a Baptist leader. So the only happy hour I can commend (laughs) is the happy hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. So check that out if you don't uh, already. And Jamie, thanks so much for, for being with us today. And thank you, Dr. Moore. I respect and honor you so much. So I'm honored to be here. This is Russell Moore, and you've been listening to Signposts.